0: Welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. So, uh, we're going to get right into this series today. And our text today, uh, we're continuing our series called The Chair. And today, I want to talk to you about the idea. Mm-hmm. That every chair is different Every chair is different Look at your neighbor Look him right in the face See what I mean? Every chair is different And uh, today we're going to talk about It's going to be a great time So let's read our text 1 Corinthians chapter 12 Verse 12 through 22 Read it with me It'll go up on the screen if you will The human body has many parts But the many parts make up one whole body So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews. Some of us are Gentiles. Some of us are slaves. Some are free. But we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. And we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. Then we're going to read one more subtext here before we pray. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1-7 through 7 should be fam- very familiar to most of you. Let's read it together. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others... Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Father, we thank you for your word today. And I sincerely ask you to just move me out of the way and speak through me today. Lord, I'm asking you, let it be your words that are spoken today. Let it be your desire that is released on this congregation today. I pray, Heavenly Father, God, that you will speak to every single one of us, Lord. Whatever we came in with, whatever we're dealing with, help us to understand what you want for us as a believer and what our role is as a believer in Jesus name and everyone said amen you can be seated well I'm sure you see some chairs up here on the stage a giant eyeball and some big ears and uh I will share with you a little bit later about what that all means but um I want to draw your attention, I first want to give, by way of review, if you haven't heard the message from last week, I want you to go back and listen to it on the podcast or the video or however you watch it. I want you to go back and watch it because it's very important that you understand what this whole series is about. And so three things we learned last week is we learned that our role in terms of our responsibility to those chairs that we see around us that don't have someone sitting in them today, our role is to first intercede. In other words, before we can actually reach people and bring them into the family of God, we got to pray for them. And that is our role. That's not just something God's suggesting that we do. It's something God's telling us to do. Pray for them. If you have friends that don't know him, if you have family that don't know him, if you have neighbors that don't know him, your first role in their life is to pray for them, to intercede on their behalf, to go to God for them. God help them. God save them. God change them. I can tell you right now, my my father-in-law is in heaven today because I prayed God give me opportunity to connect with him so that he can come to know you. He would not be in heaven today if we hadn't interceded on his behalf. So it's important that you understand how important it is for us to pray. So look at a chair around you. I know this is fall break weekend and everybody's out on vacation, but look around, look around at the chair, find a chair, and just start praying for that chair. You say, that's weird, I'm praying for a chair. I'm not telling you to pray for the chair itself, silly. I'm telling you to pray for the potential person that could be sitting in that chair. Like all those different characters you saw in that video, the the broken home, the broken family, the person who's lost in sin. Whatever the case may be, someone bound by addiction, they could be sitting in that chair next week. And you need to pray for the potential of what God would do in their life. The second thing is, first thing is intercede. The second thing is invite. Everybody say Invite. If we're going to in- intercede for somebody, we might as well invite them to something. And so what I would encourage you to do is start making that your practice, inviting people To the house of God, inviting people to your small group. Our small group was significant this Tuesday morning. We have a men's small group on Tuesday at the ranch house. And we eat breakfast together and we fellowship and we have a discussion. Man, there's a ton of guys there this week. It was awesome. And you know why uh, those guys were there? Because we invited them to come. Invite. Listen, it's it's not a church growth method to invite. Did you hear me? It's not a church growth method to invite. It's a mandate from God to invite. Are you hearing me? If we want people to know Jesus, if we want people to get saved, if we want people's lives to change, we must intercede and then we must invite. And the last thing is we must initiate. And we want to initiate the discipleship of their person. You know, God called us, Jesus, when he left this earth and went to the Heavenly Father and said, I'm going to send another comforter to you. He gave us a commission, and that commission was this, go into all the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do what I've taught you. Basically, he said, go make disciples. So it's our role to people in our lives who don't know Christ or maybe are new to Christ that we Help them on their journey. Well, what is discipleship? Isn't that a class? Isn't that a program? No. Discipleship is a relationship. It's another believer saying, I'm going to help you along your spiritual journey till you become everything God wants you to become. Are you with me this morning? So those are the three things we're responsible to that chair for. So pick you out a chair. Pick you out two chairs. Pick you out three chairs. And say, I'm going to pray for it. I'm going to fill it. And I'm going to see God do a miracle in their life. Come on, somebody. Say Amen. Now, let me just say this. In order for you to do all those things, you have to do them consistently for you to be able to effectively bring somebody to the Lord. It's hard for you to invite somebody if you're inconsistent in being in church yourself. You can't invite somebody if you don't know you're going to be there next week because then they won't have you there and you invited them there. Come on, somebody. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good got we, we, we can't expect God to move if we don't consistently intercede. I want God to move, but I say one little prayer in hopes that God maybe move. No, we want to intercede. We want to be like that woman. With the unjust judge who just kept going back and saying, read what Jesus said about it in the gospels. She just kept going back and saying, hey, I need help. You need to fix my situation. You need to make a judgment here. And every day she'd come back and she'd come back and she'd come back until the judge finally said, all right, I'll do it. I'll help you because you're driving me crazy. And Jesus said, that's the kind of faith you need to have. Persistently coming in. How many of you want your friends saved? Maybe I should say it like this. How many of you don't want your friends to be separated from God for eternity? Then let's get urgent and invite and intercede and initiate. Amen? Amen. So we're all different. You read it in the scriptures that we just read. Our text, we're all different. Everybody, every chair in here that represents a person is different. But we all belong to the same body. And we have the same purpose, and that purpose is to fill that chair. That purpose is to bring people into relationship with God. That purpose is to intercede and invite and to initiate. To all the chairs around us. Because every chair represents someone who could be saved. Every chair represents healing, someone who needs to be healed. Every chair represents freedom from someone who's in bondage. And every chair represents restoration of someone who's been broken. And so we believe God will do that if we'll do our part in filling those chairs. Amen? So three things to consider about the difference of each chair and their value. Each chair, number one, each chair should not count itself out. So that's you. Point to yourself. Everybody, point to yourself right here. This is going to be an interactive message this morning. Point to yourself. Don't count yourself out. Each chair should not count themselves out. And, and there's several reasons why we count ourselves out. Why do we count ourselves out? The first one, the first one is very interesting and it and it continues to intensify as we continue to go through our history and that is this ugly word nasty word significantly stupid word comparison everybody say it with me comparison in other words what comparison is is simply this it's feelings of inadequacy that we're trying to express and we don't know how we feel inadequate And so we begin to compare ourselves with others. Teddy Roosevelt said this way, comparison is the thief of joy. If you don't want to have, how many of y'all just hate having joy? Man, y'all, come on, wake up. Wake up in here. How many of y'all just hate having joy? You just love being sad and upset and depressed all the time. How many of y'all just love that? Of course you don't. How many of you want to have some joy? How many of you love to have joy all your life? How many of you love to be happy when you get up in the morning and have that assurance everything's going to be fine no matter what the circumstance? I got joy. I got joy. Joy. Oh, hold on. What church are we in? I got joy. I want that kind of joy. How many of y'all want that kind of joy in your life? Well, here's the fastest way to keep from having that kind of joy. Start comparing yourself. It steals joy. From you. We defeat the enemy of comparison by being the most consistent, God inspired version of ourselves. It's only in that confident uniqueness that God has created us in that our strength can be complementary to the strengths of others. Consistency just simply means to do daily the things necessary to accomplish the results we want, understanding that it takes time. And repetitive action to get us where we're going. Second Corinthians chapter ten verse twelve through thirteen, it says uh, something very important. It says we, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who have commended themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. In other words, he was saying there are people in religious roles and, and even in the church that were comparing each other with themselves. They were comparing themselves with each other. We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits, but will confine our boasting to the sphere of service God himself has assigned us to, our sphere that also includes you. Here's what he's saying. He said, here's what I do. I keep my focus on what God's made me responsible for. In other words, how God has made me, I'm going to love how God made me. And I'm going to do with how God made me what he wants me to do with it. So if I'm focused on what God made me to do, then how can I be wasting time comparing myself to others and what God's called them to do and how he's made them. It's, not, it's so important that we don't get caught up in comparison. Comparison makes us do stupid things like become jealous. Compa- comparison makes us do th- stupid things like become insecure. How many of you are with me this morning? And you think that doesn't exist in the church, you're crazy. And a lot of times, we just sit on our laurels because we think someone else could do it better or someone else is more gifted or somebody else. Listen, we need to stop comparing ourselves and knowing that God called us for a purpose. Do you think that your job is not the purpose of God for your life? Do you think that somehow where you work because you're a spiritual influence in that place is any less important than where I work? Are you with me? It's absolutely of paramount importance to the kingdom of God. God made you who you are, like you are, and put you where you are so he could use you to do something significant for his kingdom. Are you with me? So it makes us do stupid things. You ever heard about that farmer that uh, he, he was going out in his farm one day and he was fixing to start plowing his field, get it ready for s- sowing and and, and, and as he was walking around, he noticed there was a little there was a little uh, there was a little uh, like bump in the ground, and he w- went over to it, and he saw something poking out of it, and he picked it up, and it was a genie. It was a lamp that had a genie in it, and it said, "Rub me and get wishes." And so he rubbed the lamp, and this genie came out, and he was awesome and just so big. And he said, "Ah, he said I'll give you a one wish. You just get one wish." He said, man, just ask anything you want. But there is one caveat. I said, what's the caveat? He said, whatever you wish for, I'm going to give your neighbor double. And he was like, I better think about this. He said, let me think about it. I'll I'll, I'll see you tomorrow. I'm going to go think on this. And so he went home, and he thought for a long time, and he he came back. What could I I ask the genie to do for me? It's so so good and so awesome. Oh, man, it's a great opportunity, and and he's going to bless my neighbor double. Well, let me think about this. And and, and so he thinks about it, and he goes back and sees the genie the next day. And the genie says, all right, what is it? What is it that you want and that I'm going to be able to bless your neighbor double? And he said, I want you to poke my right eye out. Y'all, that was funny, and you should laugh. Did you not get it? Some of y'all didn't get it. You're like, what? That's not a good wish. He wanted his neighbor to have it worse than him. Do you get it now? So, see, see, you guys are just like my wife. She says, you're just not funny. I I said, why aren't you laughing? I'm being funny. Why aren't you laughing? Because it's not funny. But it is funny. And it does make you do stupid things when you compare yourself with others. It makes you jealous and insecure. It makes you feel inadequate or it makes you feel overly confident. Bottom line, comparison kills. It's been said that when we compare, we have a tendency to compare our blooper reel with somebody else's highlight reel. That's insecurity. In other words, I see somebody's got all the talents and all the gifts and, all, and then I'd look at myself and I think I'm not much and don't have much and I think, oh man, what do I have to offer? And I become insecure and I look at them as if there's something. And a lot of times, unfortunately, what happens is we start becoming bitter towards those people or frustrated towards those people or we project feelings onto those people as if they're bad because we're insecure. And then you have the other way where vice versa where you compare your highlights to someone else's blooper reel and this is arrogance and it gets us caught up in this place of I'm better and I'm more and this is what a lot of Christian people struggle with is self-righteousness and because I'm saved I'm better than you no you're just forgiven everybody hear what I just said It doesn't make you better than another person because you're saved. Yes, your life may be better. Yes, there may be better things happening in your life. Yes, you may be moving in a better direction. But that doesn't make you better or more valuable as a human being. God loves them just like he loves you. And if you really want to help them, then give them what you have. It's been said that insecurity drives us to instability, and it's true, and it's what happens in our life when we stop realizing that God made me a certain way, and it's okay. God gave me the gifts, the abilities, the talents that he gave me, and I should be excited about those gifts and talents. How awful is it that we spend our time never using the thing that God gave us because we've been too busy wishing it was what someone else had, right? Bottom line, comparison kills. You are uniquely you. They are uniquely them. You are all uniquely valuable to God, and there's no room for comparison. You know, the first example and the best example I could give you today is one of the first examples in Scripture about comparison. And you know what it is? Cain and Abel. The reason Abel was killed because Cain compared himself and the way God responded to them too. And I guess I'm no good and I guess you're just better than me. And so what did he do? Got rid of him. This is what comparison does. The second thing uh, uh, that, that we need to consider is that happens to us a lot uh, when we're you know, dealing with counting ourselves out is confusion. You say, well, I'm not confused. Listen, there are a lot of people, a lot of believers that are confused today. It's just the truth. And, and, and Paul dealt with the same kind of thing when he was on this earth. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 7, Paul, the apostle, was sending a letter to the church in Galatia, and he was explaining to them some things, and he was asking them some things because he was concerned. As their, as their father in the faith, as their leader, he was concerned about their life. And here's what he said. He said, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. What they had is they had people from the Jewish world that were, they called them Judaizers, and what they were doing is they were coming into the church And they were trying to stir up the church and confuse them after God had taught them and Jesus had taught them and the apostle Paul had taught them that we are saved by grace through faith, not works, lest any man should boast. And they were coming in trying to say, look, yes, it's good that you're saved, that you've given your life to Jesus, that you believe and trust on him, but you also need to do all of these Jewish things that you've always done too. And if you don't do these, then you're not really saved. And what it was doing is it was causing massive confusion in the church. And people were falling away from grace, giving up on grace, because they felt like I have to do this and this and this. And there are some things we need to do, but it's a new law that's written on our hearts. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, which encompasses all the law of God on our hearts. So if we find ourselves in relationship with God and we find ourselves doing those two things, it impacts the whole of our life. But what he was saying is you're getting confused about what's important here. And I'm sad to say to you today that there are a lot of believers, friends of mine, friends of yours. People who have just literally gotten caught up in the theologies and ideologies of our current day. And there are even churches. There are churches. There are people this weekend standing up in the same position that I am. And they're commuting a gospel that's really no gospel at all. It is not the gospel of grace. It is not the gospel of Christ. It does not follow with this word. But it is is an amalgam of contemporary ideologies that have been all placed together and handed to the church as if this is the gospel of God. And we've got to be careful that when we listen to people who are preaching, they're preaching from the word of God. That it is not the word of God and their ideology or the word of God and current philosophy. Because I can tell you right now, there's a lot of deception going on. And we've got to combat it. And the way we combat it is by knowing the word and, 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 and following the word and not allowing ourselves to be confused by people who seem to know. Did you know the Bible says in Romans that in the last days that men would literally, professing themselves to be wise, would become fools. In other words, you hear somebody get up and they wax eloquently, uh, in, in tech, intellectually, and they, they make you think that the highest level of any kind of learning is in, in a context that is so above you that you can't really understand it. That is not, the Apostle Paul, when he came to the the, the Gentiles, he said, we didn't come to you with the eloquence of man's word, but we came with you with the power of God. It's not that we shouldn't be smart. It's not that we should leave our brain at the door. I mean, the very greatest commandment, what does it say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, soul mind and strength a lot of us a lot of times when it comes to our christianity we leave our brain at the door we we think weirdly and differently i'm not saying that you should become this blind leading the blind type mentality but i am saying we need to get us a little bit of discernment and start knowing when we're hearing a lie amen So confusion causes us to count ourselves out. I really don't understand. I really don't get it, and I'm confused. Well, then let's get some clarity. Sit down with the pastor. Let's get some discipleship going in your life. Let's build a relationship in which we can teach and train you the Word of God, and that will get you on the track of where you need to go. Go to Summit Next. Get involved in the growth track. That will help you along your discipleship journey. At times, because some teachers and preachers of whom we have so many today are preaching and teaching another gospel, it's confusing to people. So we count ourselves out. I don't know enough. But I want to tell you something. If If you've made a commitment to Jesus, if you've made a commitment to follow him, let me just tell you something. If you learned it this morning, you can teach it this afternoon. If God changed your life, you can share that if you can't share anything else. Sometimes if you don't know all the scriptures and you don't know all, I'm encouraging you to know the scriptures. But I'm just saying, sometimes you feel ill-equipped to help somebody or to minister to somebody or to invite somebody. Because I'm not a theologian. I don't know all the scripture. Who said that was a prerequisite? Do you know when the New Testament church grew, they didn't have anything but the Old Testament? Which was not just anything. It was something great. But the truth is, they didn't have this New Testament that we have. They were operating off what they had learned from Jesus and what they were learning from the apostles and what, the, what did it say that they did in Galatians chapter 2? They met daily and they talked about the word, the apostles' doctrine. Amen? And, and, and another way that sometimes we get caught up in counting ourselves out is contradiction. We see our weaknesses and our inconsistencies as a reason to doubt our role and place in the body of Christ. We see our past and current place on a spiritual journey as something that disqualifies us. It seems like a contradiction to say, I believe this, but my life isn't fully lined up with it yet. Listen, thank God for grace, amen? And thank God for mercy. And thank God that he doesn't just save us, but he renews us and changes us along this spiritual journey. Thank God for that. But don't count yourself out because you're not all the way there yet. Because here's the problem with counting yourself out because you're not perfect. You'll never do anything for God. Because I got news for you. You, I know you think that someday you will. But until Jesus splits the sky or you die and go to heaven, you're not going to be glorified. And until you're glorified, you're not going to be perfect. Turn to your neighbor and say, "I, I know this is hard for you. Say, I know you don't think this, but I'm not perfect. Come on, I'm not, I got flaws. So why, will you know why we allow the devil to keep us from ministering or inviting or touching people's lives when we're not perfect? Do you know why we do that? Because the devil, it's his job to accuse us. So he comes to us and says, oh, look at you, look, you failed, look at way you talked to your spouse. Oh, you're gonna go invite somebody to the marriage thing. Yeah, go invite somebody to the marriage small group. That's good after you talk to your wife the way you did. That's exactly what the devil does to you. And you know what you say to him? Yep, that was a screw-up. You call your wife, you say, I am so sorry, I acted like an idiot, please forgive me. And then you call your friend and ask him to the marriage small group. Why? Because God is not operating and he's under no delusions that he's operating with people who are perfect. Are you with me? So sometimes we feel like it's a contradiction, but it's really not. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 through 10, it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am re- weak, I am Strong. Are you hearing me? Are you listening to me? Every chair is different. We cannot be comparing ourselves with ourselves. You know, uh, the second thing is we can't do is we can't count other chairs out. So we can't count ourselves out, but, but we also can't count other chairs out but we do don't we sometimes we count other chairs out well you know they're a little different oh they're uh, they're a little awkward <laughs> you know what y'all are looking at me like I've never talked to any of you <laughs> they're a little awkward I don't see you know, they're, you know I don't see what I don't see what's going to happen I don't know if God's going to be you know it's pretty. he's got a little big job <laughs> it's a big <laughs> job to get them doing something No, stop counting other people out. You know what I've come to realize over 34 years of ministry? Sometimes it's the people that you count out the most that end up doing for the most for God. Listen, if you had seen me when I was a teenager, you'd be like, no way. Don't count others out. Well, why do we count others out? Well, here's the first reason, and it's so small, but it's true. Personality. We count people out because of their Personality. And you know, oh, they're too gregarious. They're too excited about Jesus. They're too up and positive. And you know, we always say, well, we don't want to force the gospel. But you know, there are some people that need someone just like that to get the gospel to them. There are some people that aren't that person that say, well, I don't want somebody shoving something down my... Some people are like, it takes that mm-mm to get through my head. God makes people different because there are different kind of people that need to be reached. That's why you're different. I was in church last weekend it was so amazing or not last weekend but the weekend before it was so amazing because I went to one church that was a certain way and it was awesome and powerful and mighty and then the next morning I went to another church with a friend of mine and it was all powerful and awesome and mighty but they were so completely different and I I left there going God you are so awesome because the people who go to this church would never go to that church and the people who go to that church would never come to this church. Why? Because it's different different kind of people. This is why we have so many different types of churches not necessarily always sometimes it's because of bad behavior and ugly behavior in the church but most of the time it's because God makes leaders different so that they can reach different people than others there are some people that never come to our church and there are other people that would come to our church and not go to another we need to get that God's made us different and it's okay, so stop counting other people out because they're different than you. If, if, if we were to say that that's a principle that we can count people out because uh, of personality, then Jesus really messed up. Like he was not good at picking people for his team. You say, you just said Jesus messed up. I'm just saying if you think personality is why we should judge people if they're going to be powerful for God or not. Because Jesus had the, he had the craziest group of guys. Like they none of them were just alike. I mean, he had guys that were quiet, obviously, because you never heard a word from them. And the Bible barely even talks about them. says their name, that he's one of the apostles, but that's about it. These were the leaders of the known church, and we know almost nothing about them. There are going to be some of those guys sitting on those 12 thrones where they're like, Andrew, what did you do, man? Right? We don't know about them. Why? Because they all had different personalities. But we, wh- what's one we know for sure? We know John because he's the beloved. And what was his personality? He was huggy. You you non-huggers in here, you, you, you people who are like, I just don't touch, just, you know, I don't know why it's your voice, but I don't touch people. I just, you know, shake my hand, fist bump, let's be all. No, John was a hugger, baby. You come around, John, you're getting hugged. Why? Because the Bible literally called him the beloved. All the apostles, listen, all, now, the Bible didn't. He himself called himself that. All the apostles, all the gospel writers wrote about Jesus. But when John wrote about Jesus in the gospel of John, he said, the disciple, he was speaking of himself, the disciple who Jesus loved. That was John. He was loving. He was compassionate. He was caring. He was, you think he wasn't a hugger? Where was he at the last supper when Jesus was teaching? What did the Bible say? Where was John? He was leaning over on Jesus' shoulder. Now, before you think, well, that's weird. I went to Africa one time, and I never understood that. But in different cultures, it's different. People relate to each other differently. And I remember having a guy that was really intently talking to me. And he was telling me about what he wanted God to do in his life. He was a young man. We were having dinner together. And before I knew it, he was leaning on me. And I'm telling you, it was awkward. (laughs) But I realized, hey, this is not awkward. This is not weird. He is in this moment, and he's feeling this godly connection, this affection, and this is who John was. John was a lover. He would loved people. He loved Jesus, and he thought Jesus loved him more than everybody else, right? Then you have Peter. I mean, Peter, he had to sit in this seat, but he couldn't sit in it like it is. He would have to do this. He, he had to be above everybody else, and he had to be talked first, Peter, I'm not gonna fall. Don't worry. Uh, uh, he had to always talk first, and he all had to say something. Peter was always the first one out. He was always the first one talking, always the first one doing, all the first. His personality was gregarious, and he was all out there. And by the way, he was a lot older than all the other guys. They were probably around 17, 18, 19. He was around 30. So he was talking, and he was communicating. And these guys were fishermen. Peter, James, John, uh, Peter, James, and John were fishermen. They were rough guys. They had rough personalities. You ever been around the industry, that industry of fishing or any kind of industry like that? These were blue collar guys. They were rough. They were just themselves, and that's just who they were. And then he had Matthew. Matthew was a Hebrew tax collector, he was a businessman. See, we can't say, well, look, this is the kind of person, kind of personality that God wants to use. Because if we say that, then we're saying, you don't count. Well, they're so reserved and they're so laid back. And I just don't know how God could use them being laid. Do you know some of the greatest evangelists out there in private? They are laid back and even introverted. We can't count each other out. Another way is because of perception, not just personality, but perception. We make assumptions looking, people th- looking at people through a lens of the same limitations we see in ourselves. So we say, Well, I couldn't do that, so they, they can't do that. <laughs> just because you're afraid doesn't mean someone else is afraid. Come on, somebody. Just because you don't want to get out of your comfort zone doesn't mean they can't get out of their comfort zone. Don't be a crab. Turn to your neighbor and say, Don't be a crab. You know that crabology, the crabs try to get out of a bucket, the other crabs will pull it back in. Hey, we're comfortable in here, don't get out. You, you know where you see this? Joshua, Caleb, ten spies, they told everybody, we can't go in there, we can't take this, we can't do this. But Joshua and Caleb said, we are well able, God is able to do this, let's go now. They didn't go because they convinced the whole crowd not to go. But they stood by and they were not. They did not allow the perception of the old to affect the new. And the last thing is petty. Everybody say petty. Now, petty isn't just mean. You know, we think petty means tacky. We think petty means that, that you know, back and forth, that, that whatever it is that we go back and forth at each other insulting. We think that's petty. But literally, the word petty just simply means small. That's what it means. And sometimes we count other people out because we're petty. Because we see small, and we be small, and we speak small. We don't think with big vision. We don't think, some of you, your kids could do some of the greatest things. And I'm not talking about just in athletics or in activities. I'm talking about for the kingdom of God. But you are so afraid, and you think so small, that you're locking them down. I had a woman one time that her son, she was in a church that I pastored years and years ago. And her son was definitely called to ministry it was on his life and he had influence and he was a powerful young man and and she because she she just couldn't see it she she knew that the life wasn't the easiest life she knew that it always didn't mean having a lot of money and they were very wealthy she knew that there were some things so she did everything in her power to guide that boy away from it. i'm telling you right now He is still today wishing that he had done that. And now he's trying to do it. We cannot think small. Small for our families, small for our communities, small for our neighborhoods, small for our church, small for other people. We can't count other people out because we're small. You know who was small? Judas was small. When Mary came in to worship at Jesus' feet and pouring out all of that oil as if a waste to Judas because he was a thief. But he saw small. How dare you, you little insignificant woman coming in here and trying to do all that? We could have used that to feed the poor. And he wasn't caring about the poor, he's caring about himself. But he was small and he looked at other people as if they were small. The third thing and last thing is that we have to understand if we're gonna be those people who understand every chair is different, but every chair has value, then we need to understand that the fuel that lights our fire, and don't worry, I haven't forgot the illustration. It's so going like, he didn't do anything with the eye yet. <laughs> the force that makes each chair valuable. The force that enables them to add value to others is love. See, we're not supposed to see through the eyes of our gift. We're not supposed to see through the eyes of what makes us different. We're not supposed to see through the eyes of our talents or our abilities or someone else's talents or our abilities. But we're still understand we have innate value to God. And even though we're different than the people around us, we still have innate value to God. Because he put what's in us in us, and he wants to take it out. See, God put that treasure of your personality, your talents, your abilities, your gifts in you. And now, as you are saved and you give your life to him, he wants to draw them out for the purpose of his kingdom. And the whole thing that causes all of that to happen is this uh, ethereal idea, this concept that has been perverted in our context, is love. His love for us, our love for him, and our love together for others. This is why Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord. Love God. Love people and fill the chair. You should love people so much that you're not going to allow them to set at home when they could be sitting in the church. You're not going to allow them to be separated from God for eternity because you could be in heaven. You're not going to allow it to happen. The Bible says, Jesus, when he was telling that parable to the disciples, and he said, I want my house to be full. I want it to be burgeoning. I want there not to be any room left. I want it to be packed. When he said that, he said, go into the highways and byways, and he used a word that some of us are not comfortable with. Compel them. Come in. In other words, persuade, encourage, lift, build, strengthen, draw. This is what God wants for us. So here's the problem. If you say to yourself, well, I'm just the ears. It's a good look. All I do is hear. That's all. I got nothing to offer. It's funny how you can't hear with these things in front of your ears. (laughs) I'm just... I mean, I'm definitely not sexy... not the best looking thing out there. No one, no one ever says, hey, here comes the ears. Oh, it's a party now. The ears showed up. All I do is hear. And see, here's the problem with it. we can, When we start degrading the gift that God's put in us, we lose the purpose of our life. We lose the purpose. When we start putting what God made us to be down when we start saying I'm just, yeah I'm a part of the body but I'm just the ears then what happens is we start degrading what it means and I close with this and then these things start doing negative things instead of positive things start hearing things they shouldn't hear or start thinking that maybe the whole body should be an ear everybody should be like me See, that's the eye. That's the problem with the eye. Think about that. The eye just bugging out all the time. I'm the eye. Everybody should be an eye. Doesn't matter if we can hear. Doesn't matter if we can walk. Doesn't matter if we can smell. Everybody should be an eye. Oh, am I not great? Am I not awesome? Look at me. I make you guys have vision, I make you see. Everybody wants the eye. See, we can't have the wrong perspective. We have to understand that we all belong in a chair. It doesn't matter if we're kind of a reserved person. It doesn't matter if we're a studious person and we're always trying to learn and always trying to get more in-depth in the Bible and always going deeper and doing greater studies. Or maybe we're that person, Woo! we're the party, wow! Lord, where's the flags? Let's wave them. And then you got the people who who just committed to evangelism. And, you, and then you got the people who are committed to missions. And then you got the people who they don't even really know what they're committed to yet, but they just like being here. And everybody has a part, everybody has a place. A few years ago, many years ago, about 30 years ago, or maybe 33 years ago. I was in my first year of ministry. And I was praying on my couch one day. And I opened the Bible. And the Bible to John chapter 1. And there's a passage in the Bible where it says, To them who believed on his name, he gave power to become the sons and daughters of God. And I, I told God, I said, I grew up in a legalistic type culture. I grew up in a legalistic legalistic. So I know what it means to be servant, but but I really don't don't get this. I'm I'm honest with you, God. I don't understand. What does it mean to be son? What does it mean to be son? And immediately I I got a vision from the Lord. I don't don't do that often, but I'm telling you, it's what it was. I wasn't asleep. I wasn't, I was wide awake and everything went white. And then all of a sudden I saw this beautiful, gorgeous wheat field and it was just kind of quietly waving in the breeze. It was just a full-on wheat field. I mean, as far as I could see. And I was walking through the wheat field, and I got through this wheat field, and I got into the open, and there was this huge open space in this wheat field that was so beautiful and gorgeous. And there was the most pristine beautiful wonderful home I had ever seen just gorgeous in every way you can imagine it was gorgeous and and I looked at it and I I was just so excited and it was long it was big and it was long and I walked up to it because I could hear a noise inside and I was like what's going on in there and so I went up to that window And as I got up to the window, man, people were in there laughing and they were eating together and they were hugging each other and they were just so happy and just so much joy and they just, they just belonged there. It was so great. And in that vision, I began to have this compulsion down deep on the inside of me. I I mean, almost to tears. I was like, I want to go in there. I wish, I wish I could go in there. I wish I could be a part of that, that great party. I wish I could feel at home in there. I wish that was my place. And the Lord, in that vision, just right behind me, almost as if he tapped me on the shoulder, he said, well, then go in. And I was standing outside wishing I could be a part of the family. Wishing that all my failures and all my past and all the junk that I was carrying with me, even though I was saved, even though my life was changed, I still felt the guilt and the shame, and God wanted to deliver me of that. And he said, you don't have to wait. Just go in. Because he said, David, in that table, at that table, there's a seat that only belongs to you. Nobody else can sit in it. If they walked up to it, somebody would say, hey, 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 you can't sit there. Our brother David sits there. He said, you can go upstairs in this house. There's a room upstairs for you. It's David's room. Nobody else goes in there. It's your room. He said, David, you belong. You're a part of the family. If you believe on me, I give you the power to become my son. We can't count ourselves out from the purpose in the kingdom of God. We cannot count other people out for the purpose in the kingdom of God because there's a seat at that table for you. Let's pray. Thank you for being a part of the Summit Church podcast today. We pray that God used today's podcast to draw you closer to him. You can stay in the know at Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church podcast.